word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week, that would be through the end of Shadows of Self. So just make sure you've read the book. You should know that at this point. I mean, come on. there this is cross and i'm pj and we are words and whiskey a podcast for veteran and novice readers like we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking you should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club another book down another book down so like ben doesn't know this but pj was not a reader we were talking a little bit off air about like how i've read a bunch and like been reading a lot and whatnot but part of the part of the goal of this podcast is to get pj to read more and so like every time it's like a celebration of a book down so we're so glad to have you here today today is our wrap-up episode discussing shadow of self by brandon sanderson and we're here with overly average ben hello thank you for having me yeah we're psyched let let it be said that when pj and i were uh doing an after episode before when like the recording time didn't work out previously we just recorded a little thing for fun because we were there i finally came to realize that overly average ben is a joke for big ben of course <laughs> yeah 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 oh my god <laughs> I, I felt like such a moron pj's like oh i get it and i was like what you get what and i was like i get his name and i was like what's to get <laughs> It's also it's just the the most accurate depiction of who I am as a person. Like I, I'm the definition of like a jack of all trades, but even worse than that, it's like I'm not even competent. <laughs> I mean, you're competent. We'll we'll say competent at some things. We'll we'll give you at least a little bit of credit. You know, we can't not. So yeah, we're we're so happy to have you here. Of course, to talk about this book and kind of run through everything. We are going to be talking through this, but you know, tell tell the people what you're about. You know, give them a little something. Well, this is a it's always difficult because I feel like I I just exist. So I I make YouTube videos specifically mostly talking about fantasy, but with being at university and all that kind of thing, it's it's mostly me exploring other avenues now i make joke videos sometimes not so much anymore because it it does my uh, it does my self-esteem poorly to kind of sit there and put out a video i'm like i hope people find me funny so instead (laughs) i try to just 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 talk rubbish and then hopefully people click on it I, I mean, I originally found you because of some funny videos. So, I mean, I'm very glad and I've been watching you over the course of the past year as we've been kind of running this podcast and whatnot. It's been a treat. So I'm super glad to have you on the show and very excited. So awesome. So obviously, you know, we we drank on this podcast for the Intoxicating Book Club. So we're going to start off by talking about what we're drinking. So I'll kick it to PJ here so we can give a rundown of what he's having today. So I we're we're working with time zones today. So. I got off work and immediately came home and you guys were already in the channel talking. So I threw together as quickly as I could, whatever I could. So I made a pineapple rum sour and it is, give me some leeway here, approximately (laughs) two ounces (laughs) of rum, one ounce of pineapple juice. I used the acid adjusted pineapple juice that I made before. So it is quite sour. I think I'd probably go without that next time. I had a half a lime and half a lemon in my fridge and Kaylin wanted to drink too. So there's a quarter of a lime in here and there's a quarter (laughs) of a lemon in here, half an ounce of simple syrup. And then that's all shaken and served over ice. So nice, sour, rummy, pineapple cocktail. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty tasty. Following that up is dad's stoked. 
the triple IPA version of Dad Jokes from Blackstack. Dad's Stoked? Isn't that what it is? Dad's Stoked. Oh, Dad's Stoked. That's awesome. Yep. Well, sweet. Sounds sounds tasty. You'll have to let us know how that IPA is once you crack into it. Will do. Awesome. Ben, what are you drinking? I uh, I was saying this beforehand, but I am not much of a drinker. My family is, so whenever I go home, there's a kind of implicit social pressuring to drink. And as a result, I'm all... Just like this. <laughs> yeah. So as a result, I'm kind of aware of what I like, and, and that is mostly beer. So I'm drinking Brewdog Punk IPA. It's my standard go-to in the UK, Weatherspoon serves it, so anywhere you can get it. And it's just a... It's just better than rubbish. You know, if you're going to sit down and there's the option of like, you can have Bud or like, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. just, just kind of bland beer. And then you've got Punk IPA. You're like, at least there's going to be a little bit of flavor in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. What's the, I mean, obviously you've got like a lot of classic beer that originates from Europe in general. And so I'm sure that's a lot of what you find in places. But what's the, what's the craft beer scene like in general? Like you're saying the, not that you might know, of course, because drinking isn't necessarily a thing, but what's it like out of curiosity? Uh, we have we have actually quite a good one in terms of from from my opinion, like where where I'm like where I live. We have a lot of now independent like breweries and independent pubs and that type of thing are mostly going to be craft orientated, like cans and that type of thing, because not only it, it seems like there's a culture around it that people are willing to pay that bit more for the quality. And I think that makes it, as an independent one, that makes it easier to justify the increase and kind of make it feel like it, like a culture almost here. Um, so I actually really enjoy it. Like wh- when I do drink, I enjoy it. But usually because, because I my weight fluctuates so much, I'm like, I need to choose between eating or drinking this. I can't do both. Otherwise, I will bloom. And so I, I choose eating typically. So that's, that's how I work. I totally get that. I've <laughs> been doing a little bit too much of both myself. PJ, what were you saying? Oh, no, me too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the That's been one of the dangers of doing the show is realizing mm, need to work out more if we're going to be consistently having one to two to three sometimes beverages per week on an episode yep. so and to, and now recording more and more often during the weekdays instead of weekends so that Ugh. just makes most days <laughs> i just uh, days i, I can't cope day, with so it i i just i find myself so fatigued if i drink like I, I don't know what it is my body just isn't built for it and like i think there, there was a point when my family had to come to terms with like when i'm like i'm going to skip this one it's because i genuinely need to skip it otherwise i'm just going to snooze like there's no yeah it's, it's just kills someone's me. carrying me out of the booth yeah yeah mm-hmm. i totally get that you just got to do like vodka red bulls all day that's that's the only it's <laughs> the only option <laughs> That'll keep you awake. So I am having a little bit of a tiki spin. I haven't done tiki in a while. PJ's been re- like absolutely. I can't think of a word that isn't just super sexual at the moment. I was thinking railing. I was thinking jerking me around. There were just too much. So we're going to go with something else. That's getting edited out. <laughs> PJ has been going at me hard. See, see what I mean? <laughs> like I cannot get away from it. Uh, PJ's get, been going after me to like make something with pineapple juice. Every time I ask him, he's like, do you have pineapple juice? You know, when I'm like, what should I make for the show? And so I finally was like, all right, I have to get pineapple juice. I have to remember it. I have to get it. So I made a variation on the shark tooth or shark bite called that I'm calling blood in the water. The biggest change with it is that I swapped out the straight simple syrup for a strawberry simple syrup. 
to kind of give it a strawberry basil simple syrup to give it kind of this more herbaceous note as opposed and it, it goes really well with the pineapple but to run everyone down what that ends up being is one ounce of barbados rum one ounce of aged jamaican rum half an ounce of lime juice half an ounce of pineapple juice and half an ounce of simple syrup shaken served over ice preferably with a straw in a nice little mug ah, super tasty. Do you want to know the secret as far as like why i keep asking if you have pineapple juice what's the secret I stare at my fridge and see what I have and wonder if you have the same things. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the whole secret. All right. But how does how does that basil work in there? Works out great. It ends up adding like a little bit of an herbaceous note and adds a little bit of richness to otherwise a cocktail that I feel like is very sweet and rum dependent for a lot of the spices and other things that you get in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, right. I like it. Tastes okay. good. I'm following that up with a Chalk Hill 2019 Chardonnay. So pretty standard wine because watching the calories as much as possible inside of this. So (laughs) calorie in, calorie out, baby. Okay, cool. That's that's our drinks. So with that, let's get to talking about this book. Ben, I don't know if you've listened to any of our wrap ups on these, but we've been starting this off with a simple question each time. And it's really easy. It's what alimantic or ferrochemical ability would you take if you could have any and why? Um, and we'll get into some interesting era two spins on this, but we just need to hear it at this point because PJ and I have settled, but it's always interesting to hear someone else's take. Yeah, I, I like that you call that an easy decision because I was sat there when you said it through and I was like, this is going to take some time. And I think that the reasoning I came up with is that I would choose tin and the reason I would choose tin is because I'm imagining that I'm the only one that has it in the world. And I don't like to stand out. I don't want people to be looking and I'm flying through the sky. I just want to exist on my ordinary level, but with just a little bit of an edge over people. I don't want to be able to pull emotions and stuff because that adds some weird free will issues in. I don't want to have... I don't want to be super strong because I'm scared that will make me a bad person. (laughs) So I thought if I can sit at the back of a lecture hall and not need glasses and I could just improve my eyesight and see, that would be pretty good. (laughs) And that was my, that was my reason. I'll take tin. All right. And I I feel like there's there's a lot of unexplored potential when it comes to tin, even within these books. We had a conversation about sex with tin. I think that'd be pretty great. I was I was speaking to my housemate about this, and I said the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the first thing that came to my head. I was like, "Well, tin's definitely up there. It's it's starting high." <laughs> Gl- no. Gladly ran it past someone else because it's like you know, is is this a good idea? And it's like, yeah, it sounds better. Like, of course it does. <laughs> and then I also thought, like, even down to the the simple things in life. If I've had a bit of meat in the fridge a bit too long, I'm like, oh. Is this is this off? Like, if your smell is that good, you could probably recognise the taint of it easier. And I, I'm just like, after a couple of years, I'd probably be working on a, a, a level unheard of. And I, I think that would work just on a <laughs> without anyone realising. They'd be like, "How did you know this?" And I'm like, oh, "I could just hear it." And I'd, I'd just uh, I'd live being a secret genius. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I, 
I love that. Just background. You're just like, absolutely, no one knows that this is going on, but I eat a little metal of nugget each morning, and then I do everything better. Like your own limitless pill, but just for your senses. Yeah, I'm imagining like I, I every morning I kind of flick it into a bowl of cereal when I just eat it for my breakfast. Like I think that's how I'd, I'd put it into my routine. <laughs> oh, that's great. As as long as you don't go the full savant path, you mm. know, as long as you stick on the... Cause, I mean, the savant path, while great, would also... You know, I th- I think that could be that could be dangerous, but just burn it when you need it. I can see tin working out great. See, we're we're stealing iron. That's that's our issue. That's our dilemma. I think pushing's better. PJ believes that he would love to wheel himself around on a little cart by pulling himself everywhere in his house and designing everything that way. He is an engineer. Well, that yeah, I suppose it is what falls into your kind of wheelhouse. I suppose if that works for you, you're like, oh, I, I could make this work extremely well. And I think it's just what naturally you're kind of like, oh, I can, with the skills I already have, this would work 100% well with my life. Yeah. I mean, my house would be set up almost exactly like Renette's. <laughs> like, I would absolutely do exactly that all the time. PJ I, was- I, think I don't even need a special cart. I just need an office chair. That's it. <laughs> Maybe. Well, all right. Imagine... Traveling everywhere by rollerblades and just pulling on cars in front of you. There is, yeah, it's almost like there'd be a sense of being like Spider-Man. Like, do you know where he kind of skims along cars and that type of thing? There's a sense exactly. of that where I'm like, that just sounds fantastic. You may win me over. I'm, I'm tempted. <laughs> <laughs> the problem would be spatial awareness. I, have, I, I, I don't drive because I have a terrible spatial awareness. I'm scared that I'd fling myself either too hard or not hard enough. And suddenly I'm, I'm dead. Yeah. Never, line. never been to the UK, but I think given the pictures of roads that I've seen, I would also be terrified. I don't feel like I have a very bad spatial awareness, but holy shit, almost no room for error all the time. Yeah, it's like, I don't know how people do it because I've been to Canada now and I, I've realized that I could definitely drive there. I think I could learn to drive fairly easily. But in the UK, mm-hmm. there's just a there's awareness that not only do I have to be a perfect driver here, but everyone else does. And I'm aware of what people are like in the UK, and it <laughs> does not fill me with confidence. <laughs> that I mean, great point. Definitely agree. <laughs> that is the number one fear of driving for sure. Is that ah, my life is in everyone else's hands, and I know how competent everyone else is in ad. In medium, I love that. Do you have a ferrochemical choice? Probably increase and in, like in, increase and decrease weight. I think that would be a handy one in, in the sense of like. Well, I suppose they'd be separate, but in in terms of a what's the word? Being able to adjust to situations, I think it would be fairly fairly good to have that in terms of. Say like someone grabs you, you can kind of, like, or you're trying to get away, you can use that to kind of increase your weight without, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's not even different from pewter, but for some reason in my head, I feel like there's a difference. And uh, like as in how it would function in society to other people. But maybe it's just because I feel, I don't know, more, more, more inclined to like some of the ferrochemical people that use that power and how they use it compared to how pewter is mm. used. But I don't know. That's a great point is that there is something about all the people that we've seen use some of these abilities and the connotation that that adds to our understanding because they've been explored a little bit deeper. And you're right that that the idea of lightness in in that way is really attractive because we've seen it used so creatively, you know, over two different eras. Yeah, without a doubt. 
like I think there's also the idea of being able to go both ways makes it extremely different for ferrochemical rather than being able to kind of like only increase. And so I think that kind of makes a difference because I don't know, imagine being light. You can just run really fast. Like you don't have to hold as much. You can, well, not really fast, but you can run faster. You can, you can make yourself so light. The wind just takes you where you want to go <laughs> and then make yourself heavier and come back down. Like there's a kind of a, there's an infinite, once again, infinite possibilities is all I'm thinking about when I come to choose what I do. I'm just like, what could be the most versatile for me? Mm-hmm. It does seem to be a theme. <laughs> Maybe it's the uh, the overly average nature of myself. I'm like, what, which one can I spread <laughs> as much as possible? <laughs> that makes sense to me, for sure. I think it's fun, rather not fun, but at the very least it makes sense to mention here that you are as far as PJ is right now. Out of curiosity, just because we've, we've been planning this for a while, I think honestly since march april something like that like this has been a long time did you hold off on reading the next book to like sit in or was this just kind of happenstance it's it's simultaneously both because part of me i i was aware that i was like uh, it would be nice to read bands of mourning and secret history ready for lost metal but as i've gone along i was kind of like there are so many other things that i need to read that and also not to spoil anything per se and what I think, but also have wanted to read more. That was like, I'm going to hold off so I can come into this at like a kind of, these are my thoughts at the time, and then I can reflect on how I feel after moving forward. So rather than, I don't want to, I think there's a kind of sense of being with PJ that I'm not bringing in future thoughts to affect what I think of this book. It's it's great. I mean, I, I'm sure PJ appreciates it endlessly. I didn't know this until like a week ago, rather not even a week ago, a couple of days ago when we were talking about this. And I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, Bands of Morning, be cautious. Like, I haven't read it. And I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> sweet. Yeah, that's great for me. Are you familiar with some of the like what's what's it called? Ars Arcanum? The Cosmere? Is that what you're thinking about? Or the... Well, just the, informi- the, the extra sort of metal information that's at the back of some of the books that's not technically textually. I have never read that in my life. <laughs> I won't lie. Okay. I am the worst. If you put something at the beginning, I will read it. When it's at the end, I'm like, nah, you're all right. I've read your book now. <laughs> I have put in the work. This is 600 pages long. I'm out. And I, I did. But I, I feel like I maybe should. But I, I'm aware of like the concept that there are things there. But I don't know. Mm. Sometimes I'm just kind of like, maybe I'll just leave that and I'll let, I'll let other people do that for me. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. So we're we're basically at the same spot. Yeah, I, I was going to say PJ didn't know, and I guess also alternatively, you also didn't know. But Brandon is so, and you've been reading Brandon longer than I have for for all imaginations. So we should talk about that in a second. But the Ars Arcanum in Era Two gives a lot of information up in that Ars Arcanum versus a lot of the other ones are kind of limited, like. All 16 medals are detailed, and we don't know two medals right now, in theory, from the story itself. Like, we don't know, but they're in the Ars Arcanum because the character running that knows them, which is just like, Yeah, wow. that's interesting. Uh, yeah. really, It was really strange to me when I read through Era 2 for the first time, and all of a sudden was like, 
Oh, okay. So the mystery of this isn't going to be like more missing metals. You're putting them right there. Mm. The mystery is going to be other things and related to other things. So, which is funny considering the name of the last book. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, <laughs> I was thinking of that deep irony <laughs> in this moment. So, I'd love to talk about how we feel about this book on the whole. And Ben, I'd like to also hear in tandem, kind of some of your thoughts about Sanderson in general, how you came to him, and then we'll kind of roll that into everything else. Yeah, if you want me to start, I, uh, in terms of my feelings on this book in particular, is that I felt it was a an improvement on Alloy of Law. Alloy of Law. This actually made me change my rating of Alloy of Law because I realised that I didn't enjoy it as much. I think I was giving it too much leeway, and then Shadows of Self was like, "Oh no, this is what this is improving a little bit on what I didn't enjoy in Alloy of Law." So I kind of. I really enjoy the the expansion of and the implications of previous characters influencing current events. I, the the, the cantor in this absolutely brilliant. Once the actual plot got started, I was so on board with this book. But the first about 150 pages, I was nervous. I was very nervous because it was mostly just wax and wane and. I was like, I don't particularly like either Wax or Wayne. And I know that like they're two characters that are extremely divisive in terms of what I've experienced, that people either love and like really get their humor or think that they are absolutely cringe. And I tend to find myself drifting towards like I, I groan sometimes. And part of me thinks that this would this would link into how I feel about Sanderson as a whole is that a lot now I can't read a Brandon Sanderson book without thinking about Brandon Sanderson writing the book. And when mm. I read some of his humor, I'm like, Oh my God, what you, you wrote this. <laughs> like, and I can imagine him writing you thought it. This is funny. Yeah. And I, it just, it f- makes it feel like even more dad humor because of who he is. And I know that's that's not a fair critique in the sense of on the text, but I think that lends itself to how Brandon Sanders is transforming himself from an author into a personality. And that it becomes it's becoming a muddier area in terms of how I view his work now. That's fair. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. How did you come to Sanderson? Like where where'd you start? For instance, this is PJ's first foray. Mine was the Wheel of Time. I've talked about that on the show a little bit. Where, where'd you come to mine was, know or um, read Sanderson? Mine was Miss Born Era 1. I was about 13, and my my brother had just bought... He went to he went to Waterstones, which is like the branch in the UK, and he bought all three. He just saw the artwork, really liked it. He was He was a teenager at the time as well, so he was just like... I have money for the first time and I'm just going to impulse buy. And so he just bought it with no information and he read it when he went to university for the first year. And then when he came back, he kind of just pushed it at me and was like, you, you have to read this. You're going to love it. And that was my first, what would be considered like adult fantasy. I kind of shifted from like Harry Potter and that type of things to Miss Bourne was my first proper go. And I just loved it. And then I stopped after Miss Bourne era one. I was like, you know what? That was a good run. I'm going to read some other stuff. And then when I was in 2017, I read the first Stormlight Archive book and then didn't read anymore. I was like, I, I am not reading anymore. And I stopped reading until 2020. 
when COVID started. And then I came back and read all of Stormlight Archive and then haven't stopped reading since then. But yeah, so it was it was my brother threatening me that got me into Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> it's perfect. So that's, that's what big brothers are for, right? Like that's totally as, as two eldest children of whom threaten the younger ones to do or read things. I totally get that. Well, there's also there's nine years difference between me and my brother, so it's not like I could exactly mm-hmm. exactly say no. Yeah, right. It's got that that power. That makes sense. That's great, though. I mean, that's a that's a great story. PJ, how do you feel about the book on the whole? I mean, we've talked about this a little bit, but we have talked about it a little bit. On the whole, I really liked it. I, I think that this book is it's exciting in the ways that it's presenting the same system in new ways. Now bringing in the Chandra and how their interactions with the rest of the society is changing makes for another cool aspect of this story. We got sort of whispers of them through the broadsheets in the first in, in Alloy of Law, but now seeing them actually out in the open and seeing what they can do and what they have been doing is really, really cool. I love the Chandra. I've, I thought they were really interesting from the start. So overall, ye, I it's great. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the story. Totally. I, I think I concur. I think that this is one of the interesting things that Ben had originally sent me because I think you maybe listened to the clip or the episode or whatever in which I said that like this to me is an eight and a half. And that's, I think, high praise. I do have this odd thing where I don't give sevens because I think sevens are silly because I think that it doesn't really communicate a whole lot about preference on like whether you'd recommend something or not. And so I think that's why I tend to gravitate towards like, okay. I would recommend this. And so it's an eight or like, yeah, I could recommend as a six. Like if this is your thing, you'll like it. So I try to like cut out sevens, which is why I think like a lot of people, this is a three and a half for a lot of people. I get that. So here's, here's the follow up to this. So since you land in that three and a half spot with this book, if you had to choose to go down to a two and a half or go up to a four, we can make it a 10 scale just to make it cleaner. But if you had to go up or down, would you recommend it to like universally recommend or would you give it that little like little dose? I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I thought about it and I was like, hey, that's so much fun. <laughs> I uh, I think I would fall on the side that if someone has never, wow, this is so difficult because I was going to say if, if someone hasn't read Brandon Sanderson, I would not recommend it on its own footing. I, I personally see like Era 2 isn't a genre made for me. And so it, as a result, that's why I fall on the the probably the lower side. But part of me is also like, the only reason that I wouldn't recommend this is because I'm aware of how much better his other work is. And so like, I, I feel that like that kind of diminishing returns for me. But, as a result, that falls in a weird paradoxical bit where if I'm not recommending it because I don't think it's his best work, but I'm recommending it to someone who hasn't read him, then that 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 reasoning doesn't make sense. So, <laughs> to not answer your question, I'm going to make it both. <laughs> I'd go both ways. <laughs> I'd go both ways depending on the person. Because <laughs> like, for someone that has read... Someone who's read Brandon Sanderson... I'm like, oh, the only reason that I'm reading this personally is because I know there are further implications 
and and as a result, I need to be caught up in the full Cosmere TM. <laughs> but so you're reading it for MCU reasons, precisely. What I'm, what I'm hearing exactly the case, and and that makes it really difficult because um I there are certain things that I love about it, and I re- I some of the expansion on Era One has been fantastic. But there's just certain fundamental things that don't work for me personally, and it makes it a really mixed experience. So I feel like I'm coming at this out of the three of us as the probably the most like negative, but I still gave it a positive review. I, I have fun whilst right. I'm yep. reading these. It's just not necessarily something I'd have picked up if there wasn't further implications to go through. I think that's definitely fair. I don't think I would have read Era 2 either if there weren't further implications. I enjoy it on its own now, though. Like, it's, it took a little bit. I'll say that because I've read through Secret History and, like, I've got, you know, two extra pieces of context. But Oh, I, I feel like this is a good point to sort of interject this question, which has been jokingly a point of debate between Crossland and I, but I'm genuinely curious what you think of it. This is considered by Brandon to be the first of the the second trilogy with Aloe of Law being excluded from that. Do you agree with that sentiment or does this feel like the second installment of a series? I feel like I would describe this as the, this is the first, imagine it's like a TV show. This feels like the first episode and the Aloe of Law was the pilot that like, was made with a different budget, different actors, but it got picked up, but then they've refurbished it and kind of polished it up ready for okay. this. I can, yeah, I can agree with that entirely. I don't think I agreed with that up until like the last third of the book. Like the last chunk of the book is where that sort of fell into place for me. But yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. It, it was something that was heartily debated on our show a couple of times. And to the point of, I think in our last episode, or maybe second to last, that it was even a joke of... PJ is saying like the fifth book in the Mistborn series, but the first book in the second trilogy, but the second book in the first era, the second era, it's just like this smorgasbord <laughs> mess of nonsense that Brandon had set up is thinking about this as a trilogy. And, you know, I, I think I, I, I like the idea of the original book being a pilot. I do think there are great ideas there. And like Miles, for instance, is a wonderful character when he's on screen that, you know, in my opinion, I think Miles is one of Sanderson's best villains in hmm, many books. That's the way I'll skirt around spoiling. But I I just think that he's really well-rounded. And then to move to this book, Bleeder is just an extension of that character that we get. And but we don't know that until the end. And then it recontextualizes everything. And that's just, oh, man. Yeah, I will say that the, the ending of this book did a lot to to really get me back into it because, mm-hmm. yeah, I I honestly it's one of those ones where like the the start this is going to be weirdly I'm talking about alloy of law, but the start of alloy of law it's all it's all good baby, <laughs> but do you know like it's the it's the idea of like when you're writing a character you don't want to start the book with their stakes having already happened. And Alloy of Law starts with a guy literally murdering his his wife. And I'm like, the the stakes have immediately dropped off a cliff and we're having to build back up. And it's a hard climb to ever reach that from the start. And so part of me is like, it, it feels like there should have actually been a book before about that, which is a weird thing to think about. But yeah, I always found that weird. 
And I always felt like that kind of, that mess with the pacing for me, where I felt like Wax had nowhere to, he had places to go, but because this is the first installment and we've started so high for his character to then fall and then build back up, that he wasn't a strong enough character, in my opinion, to do that. Whereas in this book, the the strength of Bleeder as a character and the whole mystery completely got me through. It reminded me of, uh, like, this felt a lot more like a Sherlock Holmes where I'm like, Sherlock Holmes is there, but he's just kind of witnessing things. And it's the strength of the out, like the rest of the cast to prop up. And I think Bleeder was a great character and just the Kandra, Tensoon being back, like all these people being back. I was like, it felt like, I don't know if anyone's watched Twin Peaks here, but it felt like watching Twin Peaks The Return and you get to see all the familiar faces and you're like, my heart is melting. The log lady's here. That's what, it, that's what it felt like to me. I I really love that comparison. A, a lot of people, so we, we've even talked about this a little bit off air, but like I wrote a whole, whole f- book and PJ knows this, but like part of the reason that that book didn't work is because I basically did what Sanderson did in Alloy of Law, killing the wife right away, which fridging and a whole other issue. Professional editor helped me out. We did a lot of stuff. And it's just like that book is always going to be on the shelf forever because it's got some unfixable issues. And yet here that this book is. And to that point, you're right. It is so tough to dig a character out of that hole to set up the the impetus for everything else like you're starting too low yeah i I love that love that that's a core problem in a lot of books or can be it can be a bad setup i should say pj you just spinning there i'm just spinning (laughs) i this doesn't feel to me and this is just kind of a a symptom of my inexperience in in stories and in reading it that that part of alloy of law didn't feel so cliched as, as Crossland pointed out, but it's my first experience with it, so maybe that's why. I do totally get what you mean by like just dropping the stakes off a cliff right from the beginning. But I, I feel like with the the reveals at the end of Shadows of Self, that sort of is redeemed, but only retroactively. So it's hard to it's hard to know how to judge that because do you do you judge it chronologically, like with what information had been revealed at the time and within that book even or as a whole can that retroactively change how i feel about the beginning of that book or how anybody feels about that book so it's it's a difficult task to try to parse that oh i was gonna say i feel like the oh. answer lies go ahead go <laughs> ahead yeah. i was gonna say no, yeah, you, you fire away. It, it, it is interesting because i know i know people like it's interesting when people sometimes go back i, I see often people change their ratings of first books and they're, they've started as a three star gone through the series and then changed their original to five star and i feel like like depending on how the rest goes that could happen it with era two you're like oh, i feel better about our live law because of the contextualization of later books but I always feel like that's sometimes a dangerous thing to do because if you're telling people that first book is a five star and people are going in now expecting a five star when you thought it was a three to start with, you're setting up a false expectation that they're not aware of that you've come back to it retroactively and thought it was better. And I always feel like I, it's different in terms of conversation talking about it. I know I'm talking now about specific reviews, but I always, I always feel a little iffy when people do that personally. It's yeah. a tough needle to thread. And I think from an author's perspective too, the like 
idea of consistently going back and like you don't want to write yourself in a corner where the next book always has to recontextualize the last book to make it worth it, right? Which is kind of the opposite side of this from the crafter's perspective versus the reviewer's is like the book should stand on its own. And the idea that like this book does add in a ton of context is great. But you should never, in my head, at the very least, my expectations, I don't feel like it's ever something that you should seek to do to write something that then goes back and alters so much of a book that it recontextualizes it in a very different way. Because sometimes that can ruin the magic of the original book or book series sometimes so i I think that there's you know there's a fine line that you have to dance there between verging in the direction of correcting things or like adding context and going too far and like breaking things that worked yeah you did something there pj but i don't know i always look at pj's face because pj has like some tells when Mm. he's gonna talk and i saw a tell and i was like oh then he went oh i don't don't real real quick follow-up on that to that degree alloy of law your re-review if you had to give it the re-review do you think that this bolstered it like you said earlier you talked about giving it a different score after reading this book does it score lower higher where'd you land yeah so i i come to it as i don't often change ratings and the only thing that made me... I'm going to use the magic seven number here. Shadows of Self to me was a seven. And the reason being is, it is like I said, it felt it fell in that middle of, I enjoyed it whilst I was reading it, but I wouldn't have read it, it without further implications. And so it, it fell into that weird, weird little fault line. And that's actually where I put Ally of Law originally, because I felt the same way. And I was like, Shadows of Self, my, my feelings finishing that book was so much more than Alloy of Law that I was like, my original feelings, I was right. I, I wasn't feeling a 3.5 on that. I was feeling a 3. And uh, and so I, I didn't try to go back and think how a Shadows of Self changed how I felt. It's It was more like, okay, how was I feeling in that moment compared to how I was feeling now? And I felt better with Shadows of Self than I did with Alloy of Law. And so I, I, I rated it three stars now rather than three and a half. But once again, it, it it falls in the in that that awkward. This is compared to Brandon Sanderson's other works, and I'm kind of like if 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 Shadows of if Alloy of Law is a is a a three and a half. Like I I gave Atlantis a three, and I think I enjoyed Atlantis just the same as Alloy of Law, and so it's one of those things where I have to. I'm trying to put it in perspective compared to all the other books, and it just, it's a mess. <laughs> the guy needs to stop writing so much. I think that's I, I, something that's so complicated about the way that he's writing the story, in that it's multiple individualized stories that are like connective tissue for other stories, and like he needs this bit of information here in order to make this make sense. And how do I make that stand alone while also being a compelling story? And how does that all get rated together or separately or apart? It's a mess is a perfect example or a perfect word for how I think you'd have to describe that. I, I definitely agree. I think part of part of the thing for me, at the very least, and I've read more than PJ has, and I, I think I, I'm actually the most well-read Cosmere person at the table for once. This is crazy. But anyway, uh, I, I really think that one of the things that's important to do here in my head, at the very least, and how I separate these, is I try to think about 
each thing as like having its own voice distinctly. And that is interesting because it makes Brandon Sanderson almost an inconsistent writer, but he's consistent inside of each series. So his voice is the same within each series, be it an editor, be it whatever. The the voice for Stormlight Archive is very particular. It's very precise. It's a little bit more verbose than anything else. Mistborn Era 1 has a lot of very technical descriptions and some character writings and a lot of like scene setting to get things to places. And Mistborn Era 2 is breakneck speed. And like those those different things lead to very different writing styles. And I think similarly, you, you're welcome. I, I think that's this is how we're reacting to it. We should be evaluating, I think, Sanderson as a writer on the whole, thinking about these things. But I think that the way that I try to separate them is like, okay, he's going for something else. He's aiming for something very different here. My enjoyment of that is a little bit separate from what he's aiming for. I think he's nailing what he's aiming for. Do I enjoy it more or less? That's individual, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with you with that. I I, I think that the further that the Cosme goes, the more it's going to be individually what you're looking for is going to affect which one it, it already is like because i yeah. like when it comes to I, I feel like sometimes well i don't think a lot of people will agree with me with this but it's his writing that genuinely affects my enjoyment of him sometimes so like for example atlantris loved the first half i i absolutely adored his work with theology Anytime Brandon Sanderson writes about religion, I am completely there for it. I think he writes about religions and comments on religions wonderfully. Mm-hmm. But then that book decides to be a different book in the last like 30% and, and it loses me. But that's to do with his first book, etc. But I think that's that's the case. Right. Is If you're looking more for, oh, you want a book about theology, pick up this. If you want a book that's an epic fantasy, pick up this. He's created a literal mcu model of depending on how you feel pick up what you want and some things may work better for you some things may not but there will be a consistent feeling throughout despite him working in very different ways and pj's read era one era two and elantris so far we're starting warbreaker next month for a short pour so we're just gonna do one episode on it personally warbreaker i think I need to like sit with this for a little bit, but I think Warbreaker is my favorite Cosmere entry. Have you read Warbreaker? I don't know. I have read Warbreaker. Okay. All right. So this might, I, I don't, I don't want to talk too much about it, of course, because I don't want to taint PJ's opinion, but I, I totally agree with you. I think that's kind of my, my core point here is that I think that for me, Warbreaker is a change where Brandon Sanderson shifted as a writer in a big way. It's right around that wheel of time time that we talked about offline as well. <laughs> and it was clear that he wanted to write something that was his, not so yeah, I, I think I think Net, I agree with you because it, it is he is MCUifying himself. And as such, you know, you might really like the Thor series, but not like the Captain America movies. And so you watch all the Thor movies in theater and you wait for them to go to streaming services for the rest. So I think that that totally makes sense. PJ, meanwhile, is still back in fucking... Uh, All I'm saying is bring back Edward Norton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> PJ's watched like literally five MCU movies in the last decade, which is crazy. I I watched... I, actually, I don't want to go on a tangent, but I did watch the, the last two episodes of She-Hulk in isolation. I didn't watch mm. the rest of the series. I just watched those two episodes and it was one of the most baffling experiences I've ever had in my life. To be fair, that series is a baffling experience in and of itself, and it's intentional? Question mark? Yeah. Shrug? I don't know. If if we're giving it a rating on the on the side of the 
no, can't give a seven. It's a six mm. like or lower maybe, but the high moments are the, are high as hell in those last two episodes. The last eighth episode is a high note for the whole series. The sixth episode is also a high note. That last episode, I've got some really strong feelings about. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe we'll have to talk about it offline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so. I think so. Um, God, yeah. I haven't talked about it with anyone yet, so I'm still, this is, it's just like bottled. But that's totally okay. Okay. So, PJ hasn't seen much of the MCU. By the way, I think I sent this to you in the DM. Make sure you check out that intentionally blank multiverse of madness episode on a day that you want to be mad at something. <laughs> just, just, just so you're aware. <laughs> PJ heard the second hand. He hadn't watched it, and I just like ranted for thirty minutes. He's every time he thinks about it, he gets mad. <laughs> I'm good now. Uh, <laughs> I was not. See so how start shaking for like two months. I was, I was not good for two months. Uh, <laughs> I haven't even watched that film, to be honest. But, mm. um, it's fun. The movie's good. I, I do love a bit of Sam Raimi. I think I'm just, I think I'm done. I love Sam. You would love Sam. You would love the movie if you love Sam Raimi. That's mm. all you need to know. I think PJ should watch it, despite having not seen Doctor Strange 1. <laughs> yeah, you never need to watch the first film in, in most Marvel films. You just go straight on. It's like, a good one, but you can just, you can jump in if you want. You know, it's. I might have seen Doctor Strange one. You might have. I might have made you watch it because it was one of my favorite movies in the MCU at the time. I think I've seen it. Okay. All right. This has been a great side <laughs> tangent. We call we call these for the record devil's cuts. We just take it out and we give it to patrons. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> just because it's like whatever. We we talked and it's it's all good <laughs> shit. So okay. So I I got a I got a little bit of assistance from one of our patrons here of whom also runs a popular meme page on Instagram. So I want to give Ziva credit here for helping me out with a couple of questions. But talking about the title itself, why do you think that Brandon Sanderson settled in the title of Shadows of Self? What layers do you see in that title's significance now that we're done? I don't know whether well, I'll go first. I, I haven't actually yeah, thought away. about this a lot, but there is a Me, sense of... Uh, hadn't considered... <laughs> hadn't considered... No, <laughs> about the name. I like I said, I'm someone that just reads the story and I'm done. I, like I don't, I don't reflect on any <laughs> any out material. But I mean, there's a kind of this one you get in the sense of recontextualizing Wax in terms of him. Not necessarily, he's not the same person he was, and I think that everyone's aware of that, including him. And I, I also think that almost kind of adds to his character that. He's kind of trying to be something rather than being it anymore. Sometimes I feel like, sometimes I read it and I'm like, so he feels like he's trying to to convey a presence and a persona that he does have at certain points, but sometimes it feels like he's putting it on. You've got Wayne's backstory, which would also, I don't know, like the idea that your past never leaves you. That seems to be like, in terms of the foreshadowing for the end of the book, the sense that there are going to be traumatic events that never leave you and are always going to have an implication in the rest of your life. I like that. I like that answer. I feel like there's also the the layer of the chondra that you could lay into that with the imitations and the deception that goes along with it. But I don't know if that's as strong of an argument for the name. No, I'd agree with you there because there's also the question of like, what do they take away from being that person? And so, yeah, it's kind of like the Kantra are shadows of people. Like, they are that person, 
but they're just not them. And so, yeah, that actually, I think, is the stronger. I think that is what is actually happening. And <laughs> I think you're completely right. Is that uh, is the sense of you are like the, the Kandra are a collection of people they have been like shadows that are collecting and becoming stronger. It'd be like a like seeing a weak shadow and then as they develop they're creating more of a, a stronger shadow as they go well it's it's disassociative of their original personality right so that's the other side of this that i see that adds into that right which is that the more guises that the conjurers seem to take on some are able to handle it really well but lessie took on such a significant guise that it damaged and she could not get away from that guise ever again she she shifted in that moment or in, in those years from being the servant of the, the ex-servant of the Lord ruler and then the servant of harmony into Lessie, this woman who genuinely cares and loves wax into I'm a dead pawn and then a rebel. And then a, I'm going to try like my damnedest overthrow this thing that really damaged me fundamentally. Yeah. I, I completely agree yeah. with that. Love it. This is also the only, well, not the only title. There, there have been a couple of others that have been teased. But Sanderson has actually been planting the titles in each book, which is different for him because he doesn't usually, I mean, he kind of did with Arrow 1. We can separate that out a little bit. But the title for this book was planted in the last book. The title for Bands of Mourning is planted here in this book. And the title for The Lost Metal is planted in this book as well as in the next book. Not that you guys would know about the next book, but there there are different moments and beats that hit here. So this was the one that struck me as the most out of left field as I thought about it. But in our reread, I caught that, that he mentions the shadows of self and thinking about this idea of dueling personalities was kind of the context from Alloy of Law when he's talking about it. I believe it's Miles that says something to that relation. And of course, it's Miles. He's the philosopher of all of the people instead of Mistborn. So, yeah, God, it's it's a good title. Yeah, it's it's a, such a different feeling title than the rest of his work. Like, well, I, in terms of, I think, I agree. Yeah. I think Bands of Mourning follows in that, in the sense of something that isn't is not literal. And and going mm-hmm. into Bands of Mourning, I kind of have a a preconception of what I think will be the focus in terms of that based on the choice of words and the relationships that I think there's a, I think they're, they're more thoughtful titles than a lot of his other ones. I'm curious now, given that, what do you, where's your thought go with bands of morning and PJ similarly? I, I would go in terms of like bands. The first thing I think of is bands as in wedding bands, morning as in the, I, I just think of wax and why am I blanking her name? Lessie, Steris, Steris, the, their relationship being fueled by his his like mourning of Lessie. That that now the, the, this is also fueled by the idea of people talk about Steris so much. People are like I love Steris. I'm like surely <laughs> Steris have to be a big character. <laughs> what she's done so far because <laughs> she's in like three scenes <laughs> so far in this entire like in she the has book. two POV chapters. This book, you know, I actually two. really enjoyed Steris in this book. But like part of me is like yeah. there must be more, and so that's why I think in terms of bands of mourning, it's him getting over the grief, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Bands of Mourning is mentioned in this book, and I think it's referring to some of Sazed's like metal minds, isn't it? I, I don't remember. I'm the worst. It's not. So, no, I forget what the term is for Sazed's metal minds, but it's next to that, and it ref- God damn it. Now I have to check the text. Something, something, spoilers. Just give me one second. Thankfully, I have the Kindle okay. version of all of these, so I can do it real quick. Of... 
So Harmony's I, bands and the bands of mourning. So it's separated. Okay. But they're next to each other. And it's in that museum in the governor's office, right? So there's the lost metal, which there's nothing there. And it's referring to ATM seemingly in that moment. There's the harmonies bands. And then there's the bands of mourning. Okay. Interesting. So we don't exactly know what the bands of mourning are, but, but I love the idea context, of it being connected to the marriage. I just want to I like throw that, that too. In. Yeah. And uh, I know we, we do get several sort of like this book, multiple interpretations of the story's name but in the contextual sort of mention of it it seems like a an object of historical significance or a set of objects which i'm taking because it's next to harmony's bands to mean some sort of metal mind but who the fuck knows yeah i think you can really see that i'm not (laughs) i'm not a literal person (laughs) Like, no matter what it is, I think it's why I, I study English lit. I'm just like, how can I talk absolute shit about something? <laughs> how can I just make up the stupidest stuff? And, and I, you see that I am a very literal person. I think that's what's so really great like is I get to just sit in the middle here fun. and I can feed one and feed the other and it's great. <laughs> so in that, uh, in that respect, I talked a lot about rules. How do you mm. feel about like hard sci-fi and like the definition of rules and is that important to your storytelling experience i i'm pretty fine with both i think once you set up the expectation you need to keep it consistent if you're if you are going oh i'm I'm putting in hard rules here you cannot float around with those you have to be consistent so like i read my first asimov book this month and i'm kind of like i read caves of steel which is caves of steel it's the I, uh, like other than the like there's the short stories, but it's the first robot series book. Oh well, then I read it. Maybe it might be. Can, I think I just read the short stories. I've not read Keeps of Steel. Fuck. Yeah. All right. Anyway, sorry. That was my own interest. <laughs> and and yeah. that kind of it's it sets up the idea of uh, like well the, the the literal rules and and so it's playing around those, but the 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 rules are consistent. But then also something like First Law, where it's kind of like free floating magic happens and you're just along for the ride I, i'm fine with both as long as like mistborn has to be consistent because it's a it's a hard magic system it, it's set up that way and uh, it can't you, 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 there are feats that can't be done there are limitations built in that have to be like almost respected in a way that, that I, I that's how i feel okay i think this is really interesting have you read we haven't talked about this at all have you read red rising that was our first series that we covered on the show no i have not read it yet i highly recommend it highly recommend it the first book is if we're if we're talking about books and i can't give it a seven i'd give it an eight and the rest of the series is an eight and a half plus so it's so good it's one of the best series that i've read it's what it's what like really got me into reading again in a big way and doing the show and everything else so i would i would highly recommend (laughs) but it's one of those that you do have to the first book is like you'll enjoy it the second book is a lift that you'll just experience and your life will be like, oh my God, this, wait, what? And you'll just have a good time. I have a problem setting expectations. So I'm going to try not to do any more than that. But. <laughs> to be fair, that, that seems almost like, I think I've, I'm better at that now because like in terms yeah. of a first book, not having to be immediately fantastic because right. I think the blade itself is something like that where 
The Blade itself is a good book, but then Before They Are Hanged is another level where I was completely in love with it. And I think that I think it's I think I've kind of come into the phase of like I can I can have one book. You can give me one book that's good. Mm-hmm then get great. If you're like, if it's a Dresden yeah. Files where you're like, read seven and then you'll really enjoy it. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm not reading seven books to get to when it gets good. I'm just not there with it. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. So that, that's something that Crossan and I, I think we may have talked about off air. I can't remember if we talked about it on or off air, but regarding just hard, hard sci-fi in general, and the locked in nature of it, where Brandon Sanderson now is coming to the realization that like, hey, maybe I could have done something more with ATM. That was online. Yeah. And that was online. Okay. Yeah. So this is this is getting into the Arzo Canum a little bit. No, not not really. This is getting, really. getting into words of Brandon, right? Yep. Which are bullshit, but it's fine. They're bullshit. They're not, they're not, it's fine. technically true, but he, he wishes that he could have contextualized ATM as an alloy as opposed to ATM itself so that there was more, more of an expansion of possibilities within that metal mm. going forward. And that like, that's something that I'm like, it's difficult for me to wrestle with because I want this to be a co- cohesive, like set and sewn magic system but i also understand that the writing has to come from somewhere and has to evolve yeah that is very true like he's getting better at it and he's like coming into like the understanding of the own system that he's creating as time goes on and he's pigeonholing himself through what he wrote right away yeah that is (laughs) interesting yeah because it's also the sense of like if you have an idea and you can't do it, that's all you're going to think about as well, which must be really difficult for him. If he's like, I wish I could do something with this. Like, I wish I could have done. And then that's all, that, that would just become a, a seed that you can't get rid of. But yeah, I suppose, I think that's a good point in terms of if, if overall the story improves because of breaking or changing a rule, as long as it's like, as long as it's improving something, then it's worth it, I suppose. But it can't re- it can't retcon no. something that happened. That's the one problem. Yeah, I think he's stuck. <laughs> no wonder he has words for Brandon. It's just him. It's just him offending. Yeah, I think I think so. I think that he's in a difficult place with some of these things because he, like we've said, hard hard rules. I definitely like right and inside of science fiction. I think that they're necessary. I've read it. I was talking to Ben a little bit about this app off air but like what i read from 18 to 26 was predominantly hard science fiction i absorbed a lot of asimov robert heinlein philip k dick stephen baxter neil stevenson william gibson i read like just science fiction for like a solid 10 years and then threw in the random king book here and there and i think going from that into fantasy what's been very interesting to me is like you play around in a very like muddy water almost because fantasy you're building your own rules. And if they aren't concrete to begin with, sometimes when you recontextualize something, it can make something feel very cheap on the other side because it's like, well, why couldn't Vin have like done that? And so part of what I've been trying to do at the very least in our coverage of it to begin with was like when PJ having no additional context in era two 
or like savantism or things like that. I was trying to bring up like little details that make it kind of make sense throughout. And man, you, you, you do dig yourself into a hole, mm. but I think Sanderson has done a decent enough job making sure that he isn't too far into the hole and can just cut down the edges. So it's less of a hole and more of like just an intentional moat. <laughs> and so he can walk himself in and out of that moat as much and as, as evenly as he wants. So I don't even know how, how do we get there? Okay. I mean, I, I think at, at this point, yeah, Let's let's break from theory and break from sure. sort of overarching Sanderson as a whole. I'm going to throw you a softball and a medium ball at the same time. Who's your favorite character of the story as the softball and as the medium ball? Who is your favorite returning character from the previous era? Mm. So is that because I would say my favorite. If they're the same, that's fine. No, I, I would say that my favorite character Harmony. was was actually bleeder in this story i thought that they were extremely compelling and maybe that's mm-hmm. purely because i'm not the biggest wax or wayne fan particularly that i don't know bleeder felt like a bleeder felt like they could have been a misborn era one character in terms of their intensity and that their approach to the story it felt like they could have just been lifted straight from it and put here um and maybe that's why I feel more strongly towards them because that's what I prefer in terms of between the two trilogies. But so just to go off of that, I would love to see a an Ender's Shadow esque parallel story from Bleeder's perspective of the first. What a deep um, cut of your era. knowledge of literature, PJ. <laughs> you have like ten books under your belt in Ender's Shadow. <laughs> what a great call. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it'd be really cool to see Era One from Bleeder's perspective to see what was what else was going on. Yeah, yeah, that actually that really would frame. be interesting. And then returning character, I feel like purely for like their their the the interesting nuance to their character, I I would go Harmony. I I would go says it purely because there's such a because you know who says it is. And, and was, and then some of the actions they're making here, you're like, I need to know, I need to know what has happened for some of the questionable deci- like decisions you're making and, and your almost callousness. Well, I think it is callousness with human life. Like to what extent you've lost who it, they were, how much they retain. Like, I don't know. That's just, that it's an interesting development to who was my favorite character from the original trilogy that, that I have so many questions and so many, I don't know. Speaking of the callousness though, I feel like that's something that can be directly compared to the Lord ruler and mm-hmm. his decision-making through the first air or the first book, the first, <laughs> that's it. Really. Thousand. But contextualizing it through the, the second and third book of era one and understanding where he was coming from for those decisions and how it had to be callous because he's not looking over individuals. He's looking over like the, (laughs) the protection of the world over the course of a thousand years. And that's, that's all that's on his mind. Whereas says now, understandably he's competing with another outside God, potentially that, we don't know really anything about and is it malicious is it is it 
positive? What, what's going on there? And there's so much more at play than just the lives of the individuals within a single city or within a single region within this planet. There's so much more that says it is going through than what we actually have context for. And I think callous is a great way to look at it, but only through the lens of our comparably small characters that we're dealing with. Our pawns on the board, as Bleeder would say, right? Like, I think that's yeah. the important part here. And Ben, you brought up earlier that like the Elantris is very interesting because of the ways that it thinks and talks actively about religion. I think this book very subtly focuses on religion, especially given Harmony's context. Yeah, I hadn't honestly put that together. And, and that is like actually incredibly fantastic like what in terms of the communication between the two eras and and particularly because by the end of the first trilogy lord ruler is a, a tragic character and and i i do love the idea of that because it, i always think that sanderson's interesting in terms of how he approaches theology in the sense of he he depending on who he's writing for the perspective of of course but like quite often it is like sometimes bad things just have to happen and and I think that, that that's evidently what he's doing with says it that yeah I, I hadn't thought about that and I, I I really actually appreciate that that that's it's making me rethink like moving forwards I'm gonna I'm gonna have a different thought when Harmony's involved now it's so interesting to think about and that's why I think like that's why I moved originally I think I was on your side of the opinion to begin with when I rated this book I think it was originally like it's right there it feels pretty good. It was in this reread that I came around and I was like, I think this is one of the most clever Sanderson books because of the way that he underlines and like hits a lot of notes without being on the nose, which I think is a tendency to do in a lot of his work is be very direct and on the nose. And that's OK. That's acceptable. But this book has a lot of like soft metaphorical elements to it that I just adore in post. So I'd recommend a reread. I, I'd be curious to see what, what you pick up on a reread. Okay, so obviously we've got a lot of lovely characters here to talk about, but I'd love to focus in on the Chandra. We've been talking about the Shadows of Self and the idea therein and their place in the newfound world. What do you guys, what, what do you make of Milan and Tensoon's appearances? What would I go with? I, do you know what? I, I feel like part of me feels like I've, I remember very key elements of this book, but I feel like some mm -hmm. of it has has drifted in a way. I just remember loving the Kandra, and I've always mm -hmm. loved the Kandra, but there's something, the development of their culture, the development of their place in society, in terms of our awareness of it, is so interesting, and it's, it's, it's one of the complete highlights of the book. And I, I genuinely feel bad that I don't remember a lot about Milan or Tensoon specifically, so I'm going to let PJ talk instead, and then hopefully remember. <laughs> so I still feel weird about Tensoon maintaining the wolfhound body. Mm. And I don't know if that's just a holdover fondness of his time with Vin, or if there's something more to it, just falling into comfort in that, in that form. But I would have loved to have seen something more true and something more unique for Tensoon. As the guardian of the homeland in, in, in the way that he's used it. But that's a very minor complaint. It just, it, it feels weird to me. I don't, I don't get why he would keep that form. 
And maybe that's something that'll get revealed. Maybe it's just, it is what it is. I don't know. Milan, I think is great. And it's making me wish that we got more of her before we get that she's rebellious and we get that she's not necessarily conformist. Like she, she doesn't, she's very nonconformist, but she, she doesn't sort of conform to the ideals of the Chandra or to people in general. And she presents a lot of that as fact, which clouds the understanding of the Chandra for our characters in this series, but also for any new readers that haven't read the first era. Mm. I don't think that's, that's a great problem. point. I don't think that that should be a consideration when writing a character like this, this, this like, she is who she is, and she's very true to that. But I'm I'm just so excited about the prospects of her interactions with Wayne going forward, because I think it like there's some really cool. I talked about one that's really fucked up, but and won't happen. I know it won't happen, but the fact that Wayne, your edge case, my my edge case. Okay, I'll, I'll bring this up for Ben. Wayne is able to regrow body parts. Milan can consume body parts and replicate them. So over time, Milan could entirely replicate Wayne. Yeah. (laughs) And they could have identical copies of each other (laughs) running around. And I think that could be really, really cool. (laughs) But I don't know. Those are those are sort of my idle thoughts on the Chandra in general. In the returning Chandra, specifically. Yeah, I feel like a lot of mine comes down to like that the the larger universe as a whole is that like just how the Chandra plays. I just find their their relationship with with Sazed is is just so compelling that it, it creates a, a level of confusion for the the audience, which I really appreciate in terms not confusion. But there's a, there's a sense of questioning, which occlusion. I think- yeah, it's it's occlusion. It's it's this distant, opaque, mirror esque kind of a thing. Yeah, and and I think you've answered it in terms of how like PJ, you've answered it in terms of how he's mirroring Lord Ruler and says it together, and and kind of the the parallelism between them. And there's a there's also often like in terms of like Sanderson books, the, the question of uh, like free will and like to what extent do you have control that this book goes further with than I think a lot of his other ones do. And and I think I think you're right in, in terms of on a reread, I think I'd probably appreciate Era 2 a lot more. Uh, at least the first two books. I, I, I could love Bands of Mourning completely. But I, I have a feeling we'll see. At the very least, I think there's more. Maybe, maybe if I could just ignore the humor, <laughs> maybe I would enjoy. I would have enjoyed it first, like more on the first read. But I think, I think the Kandra as a whole, they they approach the series like they're not in era two. Like there's a, there's a definite separation between how Wax and Wayne operate and how they're approached as characters in terms of. They play kind of fast and loose, and then there's the undertone of like a, a past and a, like not to, an undertone isn't the right thing, but there's there's the more that there's a past that has created who they are, but that we're focusing on the present, whereas the Kandra is almost coming at it as a uh, like like there's an intenseness, there's no there's not a lot of humor undercutting it. 
it feels like they are from a different place in terms of how Sanderson is approaching them. And I think that's why I like the Kandrama. The thing is, I'm saying I like the Kandrama, but then I can't remember specifics from the book. It's like I've just completely... They they feel foreign, right? Like they feel very... Like they're removed from society, like you're saying, and I, I totally agree with you there. And and it does feel like a very kind of obtuse thing for our characters to be interacting with, especially since no one's no one feels like they've seen the Chandra. And when we learn from Milan that it's like, yeah, we go to bars, we hang out, we like do whatever, and we like we have, you know, we we do what we want to do in the time, and that's just like a great moment of realization, I think, for the whole group. That's like. Oh shit. Yeah, right. Of course. They're they're just some people that, you know, they're just there and they're they exist inside of society because of course they do. I, I think that's nice, but there's also this agelessness and this timelessness that comes from our two and a half to three perspectives, if you include Bleeder Palm inside of the whole thing. They give us some coloration of this idea that they do still feel dated in that older era. They do still have that weight. Of what came before, which is very interesting to play with. Milan threads that line, I think, going back and forth. And like PJ said, like you've got a lot of knowledge that you have to also balance for potentially a new reader, which again gets into the point of like, is this the entry point for someone in a trilogy of books? Should it be? But I, I think that's why Milan is presented in the way that she is in moments. So, yeah. I think specifically <sighs> with Bleeder, we get some counter to the the hard rule idea specifically because of hemolurgy and what we don't know about it yet and this this metal spike that we don't know what metal it is so we know that harmony can take control effectively of a chondro when they have two spikes in them but we also know that through the entire thing bleeder has two spikes in her and the fact that it's a different metal maybe means that harmony can't interact with it and like, what does that rule look like? And that's a great question for the two of you. So I'm just going to like sit back. Yeah, the, it, it, there's just so much. I think that's something that's a trust instilled through the previous four books for me or five books with Alondris. Understanding that there are hard rules here. And even though something is is seemingly breaking those rules, there's a reason for it. And like that only works if you buy into the entirety of the series. Yeah, that's very true. Like there's there's an element of you have to have trust in the author that they have had they have enough confidence but also awareness of their own system that they are willing to divert from it and have readers go, Whoa, whoa, whoa this doesn't like align, but also have the ability to be like, Oh, because he's going to answer it. And there's never a doubt in you. There's never a doubt in you that goes, he's made a mistake. Like, whereas with some authors, you may have that where you read and you're like, oh, have they, have they slipped up here? Whereas with Sanderson, you're like, no, that this is a, there's never a sense of, you know, you never really question how he's using his own magic system. If you get what I mean, it's, it's very much like if, if there's a deviation and it's not answered in that book, you never, you never leave it and go, there's a mistake here you go oh this is going to be very interesting when this is resolved and i I think that's kind of the difference where he's playing with a hard system and so but he gets the the kind of the leeway of a soft system in terms of the reader being along for the ride and not uh i don't know like 
sometimes sometimes people with hard magic systems can get very aggressive when there's any deviation and sometimes it's just the answers coming whereas i feel like with sanderson there's an awareness he's he's kind of playing in the sandbox but he already has some like hard baked sandcastles and we can't see them because of like fog of war or something there's some reason that we can't see them always and he's done a very good job of occluding that information as much as he can so that we can gradually like walk our way into it but every once in a while it pushes that boundary and i'm like we're just making shit up. We're just, but all writing is just making shit up. So, like, okay, you know, what what way do I give you versus someone else? So, yeah, I totally agree. It's it's a tough. We've been we've been saying this a couple of times. Era two in general had a tough needle to thread, and Sanderson initially didn't even plan era two, and I think he does a very good job with kind of doing a lot of this legwork and making it interesting and making it a western at the same time. It's I don't know. It's remarkable. But like, is it as good as other things? Sometimes no, sometimes more. <laughs> okay. So what about the rest of these fools, right? Like we've been talking a lot about like the sort of meta narrative and some like context on writing on the whole. I want to talk about the characters themselves. Wayne's tragic backstory that happens in chapter five. See, finally giving up on kind of chasing Wax and her growth. I mean, Wax in general, Steris and Wax's relationship. How do we feel about the characters coming out of this novel? We've been talking a lot about like theory, other floaty things around this, but I think we need to hit characters. Uh, Adam easily jumped in and say that I was a big fan of Wax and Steris in their scenes together. I think it's a it's an approach to a relationship you don't often see, especially in fantasy. Quite often, it's the the idea of either these people have always got along and they're completely in love, or these people. They, they never thought they'd love each other, but they come together and it turns out that they're, they're completely in love with each other. Whereas instead, this is, this is like a, a part, this is more of a partnership in this book where it's like, I know how I'm needed. I know how the other person needs me. And they kind of just, I don't know. It, it's, it feels almost like an archaic relationship. It feels like, it feels a very upper aristocratic relationship. It feels like, a, a like being British and having the royal family, a an arranged marriage that you are making work, and that eventually you'll come to just appreciate each other. And I, I appreciate that. I appreciate a an author that's willing to introduce a different type of relationship than we're typically used to seeing. And I personally hated how Wax and Morassi had their whole thing in Alloy of Law. It gave me the absolute. It was the worst because I'm never a big. <laughs> you fan. didn't want it, but at the same time, it's like there's some there's some like desire there that you don't want to like shut up. But you're like, that's a bad move for everyone involved. Yeah, and like, I, I, I'm never yeah. a fan of age gap stuff. That that always makes me uncomfortable because of the like the implicit powers like power that, that's involved with him compared to Marassi and everything. So I'm glad that we are putting a nail in the coffin and being like okay that that's not happening and i'm glad that right. the that the both of them can now progress from that because that was a real big sticking point in alloy of law i was just like please stop this because you're actually writing good chemistry and i don't like it <laughs> <laughs> for once <laughs> yeah, um, yeah that's something that i think just got worse in this book i i Throughout most of Alloy of Law, I didn't mind it. Like, I didn't mind the relationship there. But retrospectively, 
it just made this 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 story could have been a lot cleaner without having to write around that sort of lost relationship. That's very true. It it felt like a the the way it was all kind of written out of the story made me think that Branderson wished that he hadn't done that at mm. all. And it was just kind of retconning without actually removing anything, you know? Like it w- I like the idea of Marisy having googly eyes for wax throughout the entire thing, but just the the sort of way that wax was able to turn it off and like ignore it and just not respond to it at all going forward. Like all of this story could have worked just as well and had been cleaner had they not had any sort of mutual relationship in the first story. Yeah. I, I think there's a, actually a funny, like, thinking back on it, I do remember there are certain situations where, like, sometimes it'll be in a character's perspective and it'll be like, Wax, Wax looked at Marassi. He definitely did not want to have sex with her. And, like, it's kind of, it's so, it's not like that that explicit, but it's very much like, it's a good thing. Like, Marassi's kind of like, it's a good thing that, that that's not happening anymore. And I feel like it's mentioned a lot, kind of, they're both, like, I definitely don't have feelings for this person. And it's like, he's telling the audience, like he's poking them and being like, I am, I'm so sorry that I even did this. And it's like, he he feels the need to keep on doing it. He's like, but just that, you know, this really is not happening. And I, I apologize. Yeah. 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 I I love the idea of that being forgiveness because I, I do think of, I, I think about this a lot because I do think that it is one of the biggest examples Outside of the one that I think is the prime example in the Cosmere that I'm not going to talk about, of course, for spoiler reasons. But I, I think this is the biggest biggest example of pining that any character has. And Marisy pining after Wax. And it was very, not strange, you can understand that it's reciprocal, but it was very grating to like have it be reciprocal at the same time. And then to have him just axe that. And like it's appropriate, but it didn't actually feel like it resolved in a way that made it feel like it wasn't still a possibility. And I think that's the thing that's the most semi aggravating about the whole moment is that it's like, this doesn't feel like it's fully off the table and it's just like adjacent and you just want more, you want wax to be like more into Steris in this so that it just like distances so much from, from Marisy That's not even a potential consideration. Well, I think that's the problem with constantly bringing it up because you kind of like, yeah, it's been a year for these people. Like, and yeah. they're still, every time they see each other, they're like, remember not to, remember not to be interested. And they're telling the audience. And like, it's been a year. Yeah, that's the <laughs> thing. I'm like, it's been a year. Like, surely at this point, it shouldn't be coming up this much. Otherwise, it is, it's odd. And a foundational thing. Yeah. Like it's- it's like yeah. integral to their their like their platonic relationship is that it was previously a chance that it could have been romantic. And I think you're right, without enough steris, and there's such a difference in the relationship between Wax with Steris and Wax with Morassi, that you're kind of like we I don't know, uh, it's hard to it's hard to I, I have an example, but I don't know whether it's too niche, but in terms of in my head I'm thinking about it as Sam Vimes with Sybil, if you're thinking about that, where I think they have a similar relationship. Discworld. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Discworld. I, I think they have a similar relationship. But it would be like if in Discworld, if Sam Vines was also like, Andrew's looking pretty good. And like they had an, a semi thing going on, like that would completely undermine everything happening. 
And it adds a whole weird tension of, is that what he's looking for? Is he not interested in this more diplomatic relationship? This kind of more understanding, but I don't know, it, it, it changes Wax's whole... There, there is the question of, is this saying that Morassi represents more of a lessy style person and that as we go along, it's that he's rejecting... He, he's he's getting over that past relationship, that missing of her, and is accepting a different type of relationship with Steris. And as we go along the series, we'll appreciate that more. But it's still, I feel like these are justifications for something that I just never wanted to happen. I think that's a great way of putting it, like in a very simple context, is justifications of something that I don't think ever should have happened or that I didn't want to happen to begin with. Like this was never... There were a lot of realities to chase here. This is not one that my brain wanted to like really wander down too far because it felt for Wax. I mean, if you if you even think about his character, he was with Lessie for so long and was in that relationship for so long. And then we we see over two chapters like a tragic year and a half of him falling out of that relationship and like the way that he deals with a lot of that grief. Then he goes in and he's finally like maybe open to shit and he's like not really though. He goes into this like almost hostage-ish negotiation moment where it's like this is my family's legacy. I need money to fuel like uh, everything else going on and man you just you wish for better and then like he mixes it's not him but like you mix in Marisi's perspective and just this clashing romance and you're like that's not right for you get the fuck out you would never consider that you would never consider that you can't consider the fight like the financial well-being of your house is worth more than I mean at the same time it's a stepdaughter so it would have been okay but like ah, <laughs> that is also frustrating for half half daughter whatever it's a mess it's a mess in terms of moving, because I feel like this is like them, them in particular isn't the most interesting out of all the characters. Right. In, Wayne, we even talked about Wayne. Yeah, like Wayne is Wayne. Wayne is a Wayne's a character. I feel like I'm growing, like to appreciate Wayne more. I I found like I really enjoy like when he's when he's changing his outfits, etc. When he's kind of adjusting I, I think all of that writing around him changing how he acts adopts different accents learns different traits etc i am so compelled by that and then it's undercut by oh i've traded this for this so it's not stealing and then i'm gonna make this weird joke and that type of thing and, and those bits don't work for me where i'm like there's the there's a really interesting character and then there's also like part of his character that I don't like, and it, it's it's combative. I'm hoping the further we go, hopefully we'll I don't know, maybe I'll just become more accustomed to it. But sometimes I'm just kind of like, oh, really cool. Oh, he's done a Wayne thing again. <laughs> <laughs> so I have s- similar reservations for Wayne for very different reasons. I like the consistency of his trading system a little bit heavy-handed sure fine with that it is what it is but the part that kind of grates on me is the 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 stark triggers of his like murder trauma Mm. (laughs) and and how present they are and how sudden they are and but but how consuming they are 
And that felt ever present in this book compared to Alloy of Law. Alloy of Law, it felt much more subtle. You could tell it was there, but it wasn't like overstated. And here it felt, it felt very bold. Yeah, I and, do uh, agree with you there. Because there's a sense of, there's a tonality issue, I think, in terms of some of that, where because he's, because the, like, it would be kind of like Kelsier, where Kelsier is a, a funny character, but he's funny in a very different way, but he's also a very somber and damaged character. And Wayne is treated differently because he's like, it would be like if rather than like a an Oceans film, like with, with Kelsier, where it's like, oh, like he's, he's having kind of banter, it's the team banter, but then he has his own secret past, etc., Wayne would be like if Blazing Saddles suddenly turned into like a hardcore like Twelve Years a Slave. Like it's such a wild, absolute tonal shift that I I struggle with between his goofy moments and hmm. his really dark moments. That I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I understand yeah. the like tonal shift issue. Just just to say a little bit here, like I understand the tonal shift. I think that that's what humanizes him more to me is that there is that tonal shift where it's just like his internal monologue is so different than the moments in which you recognizes that he's truly fundamentally done something wrong. And then it just humanizes him to a deep degree, especially in the moment where he, he goes in drunk to the school, right? And he's just intoxicated. And he's like, I am just going to like play through this whole thing. And you're like, ha ha ha, you're having a fun time. And you're like convincing people and you're rolling a natural 20, two times in a row with two people in a D and D RPG campaign. That's how it feels with Wayne in these moments. He shouldn't have made it into that school, but he does because that's who he is. But when he gets to the family that he's wronged, the the girl that he's wronged, that's when it all just saps away and he intentionally does it to himself. He intentionally removes all barriers so that he can feel he can feel that pure emotion. And that's where I have a tough time. Like, that's where my breaking point is. I, I think I agreed with you, Ben, on Wayne's character to begin with. I was like, yeah, he's kind of fun, jokey. When, when you like really take in that moment of like him choosing to be sober, him choosing to like take in what he actually did, it, man, it deeply makes me think that like maybe Brandon wants characters to feel redemption and like maybe you should consider that for a lot of different people and like should think about that as he approaches other people's writings of characters in the future. This multiverse of madness episode isn't popping up in the middle of this episode, is it? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Wow. I, um, Weird. I, I do. So I, oh, no, 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 I was going to say, um, I, I do agree with you, but I, I just. It's, it's a tough line that like, it's, it's tough to parse. It's not clean. It, it, it's purely, I think that I fundamentally don't particularly find a humor funny. Sure. That, that, that's what I think the difference is. Cause I, like, I 100% appreciated that scene and everything there I loved. It's, I just don't, I just don't find him, I just don't find them funny. And and that honestly, as we go along, it makes more sense because they're, they're both acting. None of them, like neither Wax or Wayne are who they are, but I think there's a difference between, because Kelsey is also acting. And I think the problem is, is that Wayne is done better with Kelsey in the sense of someone who has the ability to have the jokey, quirky little jokes, but also have the very somber internal 
conflict. And I think it's almost like with Wayne, he's gone, how can I take both of these, like both of these polar opposites and just take them further? And I, I, I'm fine with one of them going further, but when it's the humor that kind of ends up in a place that I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's never worked for me, but I think it's very, it's the same as people that like say era two is their favorite. Quite a lot of that comes down to the humor. And I think I just fundamentally miss that, which is just unfortunate for me, really. (laughs) I, I would be very interested just to speak about that humor bit. I'd be very interested in the ratio of people whom appreciate era two and like, like early two thousands American humor, because that's what it feels like. It is those early MCU jokes for the most part on like an elevated level and then applied to Westerns. So yeah, I, I can definitely understand that. Yeah. Part of me um, thinks the, the sort of reservations that I have with Wayne come later, actually. And specifically the point where he's imitating that mathematician and he gets stopped dead in his tracks when the person accosts him and like accuses him of essentially killing her father. And it's instead of just being a shift in his like demeanor, it is a straight up like stop in his tracks. He's never acted like that way before. Like he's never been thrown off that hard at hard before. And it just, it it felt like it was swinging too hard in one direction and it didn't make sense for what we knew of his character and his, his, his relationship with that trauma. Like it it just, it felt too heavy handed in the way that he reacted to it. Like I, I could see him losing interest in having fun and making jokes but not just being comatose almost. He feels more put together than that. That's that's the one point that like really sticks out for me. It's interesting to both have reservations from the entire opposite end of the spectrum. Um, we, we all three do. We have we have different yeah. opinions on Wayne, right? Feels like if we put us all together, Wayne would be our favorite character. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We could just piece all these different chunks together. We'd all feel the same about yeah. Wayne being great. Yeah, I it, it's tough because I I think that Wayne is a great character in the way that I think the other controversial character, the other most controversial character in the Cosmere, is not um, because it feels like it fits in the world and it feels like he actively is invested in everything that's going on in the language matches and everything else. So I have I have a tough time discounting Wayne because I think that like what Sanderson is going for, he's nailing, but at the same time, the humor is selective. All right. So we, we talked a lot about like a number of different things inside this novel, of course, but I, I do want to mention kind of the core idea as it relates to religion here. Where do we stand at the end of this book on harmony and his use of wax or and or his status as a god in these moments i'm 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 happy to go first i because i have a i have a theory moving forward brain no it's probably the smallest (laughs) brain take you've ever heard in your life (laughs) it's i feel like because we've got the as pj was saying earlier this this other presence this other 
entity that we're not sure about. I feel like we are going to see Wayne and Wax be pushed away from Harmony and end up on a different side as a result of that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have the inversion of like the rather than in the original one where Vin is tricked into working for Ruin. I think what we're going to see here is rather than being tricked by that, we're going to see Wax be pushed away by Harmony and end up with the 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 and like the opposite of that. That that's just that's just me. I feel like we have a flawed character that we can do that with and have an interesting discussion around that character and says it in terms of pushing them away. I don't know if that will happen, but that's how I kind of feel. I feel like the questions being set up are is Caesar justified in this and has he lost the perspective of the individual person and, and is he going to push Wax and Wayne by pushing him too far? I think you could do something interesting with. So I think I totally agree with you. I think that says, first of all, just to answer your question, I think says it is justified in everything that he's doing. It's just that we're looking at totally different levels. Yeah. We're, we're looking at different layers of existence and they seem like when you're looking at them simultaneously, that they seem at odds at odds with each other. But I think says it is looking more, for the entire planet, whereas Wax is looking at for his immediate region. And those don't add up right now. And I think Wax currently has the mechanism in which he can entirely augment his understanding of the universe. And he can also completely fuck our understanding of how this world works because he has the spike that bleeder mm. was interacting with what we assumed to be trell with so fucking trell spikes himself with it he can then communicate with this other god and have additional powers and have hemallergical powers and it blows wide open what we can do yeah and it doesn't have to shift from good to bad. It, it It is just a different perspective that we get to explore now. And his, his feelings and his viewpoint of humanity doesn't have to change, but we get another God's influence. And I'm so excited <laughs> to see where that might go. I feel like uh, there are... There are things that I'm bringing into it with not direct implications, but like in terms of realism with different things that, that there's a, um, like quite often I feel like Sanderson takes archetypes and has that central archetype in different series, like different characters will have the same kind of archetype slash relationship and so uh, yeah, maybe that's me bringing in a different, like a different idea, but I, I do... I'm glad that we're both on the same page in terms of the, the the I think the central wax and harmony relationship is is probably the most interesting to me out of the entire series. And it's certainly strained right now. Yeah. And it's hard to believe that he'll just go back to interacting with harmony as he did 
without exploring the idea of additional perspectives. Even as he did, it's so interesting because like as he did, he didn't ever talk to Harmony. Like he was always speaking in like a general sort of like meditation sense to Harmony in a lot of different moments. And it wasn't until Alloy of Law in like the last year and a half, two years of Wax's life that he like really was speaking actively with a god. And so like saying that, it it's just it's it's a fundamental shift in your understanding of the universe when it's like suddenly the god is talking back to you and you're like I I've been talking up to you for so long I'm like seeking some kind of like thoughts or retribution or like whatever else it is and now you're talking back to me two years after the fact about these important critical details and I I think that for me at the very least in the way that I think about it, it shifts the religiosity of the moment where it's just like there's there's wax i think in this time feels like his choice in religion is correct but at the same time has some like grasping problems because all of a sudden it's not it's not as confident or as sure as he'd want it to be because there's some pardon the bullshit pun but there's some like waxing and waning problems that happen within this story and the way that those like relationships and everything else start to happen between characters. It, it's, it's just a tough thing to grasp. And I, God, it's adorable. And I love it. I, I, God, this is why I like this story so much more. I know that we've talked about this a lot, but this is why I like this more than era one in the whole is like, this ends up being a much more religious kind of breathing experience than I think era one was trying to be, but never really hit in the way that I wanted to be. I think the other interesting thing is that not only is Wax having God talk back to him, but God's been like, yeah, I'm I'm kind of the one that's been fucking you this entire time. Like, <laughs> everything bad in your life, it's, I won't lie, it's kind of me. It's kind of me. Yeah. And yeah. Wax is like, what, what, what have you been doing? He's like, yeah, you probably wanted me to stay quiet. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to give you the answers you've been looking for. Sorry. I didn't tell you, but like, I'm so sorry that I was raw dogging you the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I always imagine how different the series would be if, if Harmony was talking to Wayne. Like, mm. I feel like everything would be a lot more streamlined because I feel like Wayne's a very, he's just, he's just a practical person. He's like, someone told me information. I'm just going to deal with that. Whereas Wax is like, he has to question everything. Almost like he's a, he's a clever person. I don't like it. (laughs) Give me, give me Wax. He's just like, he'd be like, okay, you need me to do this. I mean, if you're going to keep nagging me about it, I'll, I'll do it. That's such a good read. Cause it's so like properly dangerous with the whole perspective, which is like, Wax is like the Sherlock Holmes, right? And and Wayne is some dude who has information. He's like, some dude is like always going to turn it in. He's like, well, why wouldn't I give that to the cops? Like naturally. And like, why wouldn't I do the normal thing a lot of the time? And so I, I, I think I tend to agree with you. It's like the story becomes more interesting because Wax is so questioning of a lot of these things when like Wayne would naturally be like, well, if I have the access to God, I would obviously ask these questions. How fucking dare you be on like your high horse, Wax? Like, come on. Well, it's obvious. It's like, because I think the reason that 
there's almost a sense of the reason that Sazed has chosen Wax is because Wax mm. mirrors Sazed a lot in terms of his questioning nature and that Sazed knew that he had to be the person. Like, in the end, he knows that he has to be the person because he is willing to listen and absorb all different points of view. And that and the Wax is not, not, is not the same person, but is... is willing to actually break something down in the same way. He doesn't take the first answer as the true answer, etc. But I think I like I said, Sated was my personal favourite character from the first era, and I think he remains my favourite character for completely different reasons mm. in this one. Just as a just as a how have you progressed? Like what what's happened and like now that you've assumed this absolute control, how is it like 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 the idea of absolute power corrupts absolutely, etc. Like is he is he going that way? Like is he like because it, it we don't have to necessarily have harmony be correct. Like harmony doesn't have to come away from this actually being in the right. Like God, in this situation, God doesn't have to be correct. And then at the same time, I don't know whether I'd like Wax to be like, you're wrong, Sazed, and I like do that because I'm kind of like, oh, all right, calm down. But I don't know. It's um, Yeah, calm down, boy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think, uh, it, I think Bands of Mourning has a lot of potential in it right now. I, I'm so glad you guys are both at this point because it, it lends me a lot of like authority over the conversation. <laughs> and I also have to like temper that in different moments, of course. As you were very aware, but I, I, God, do I not think that like, A, cannot wait for you both to read it because I think it will like just open up a lot of different things and it will, it will be a new door into other perspectives. But also, I think that this book poses a lot of these questions that we've been asking repeatedly, which is a lot of recurring things about like, where is Sazed in this moment? Like, what does religion look like? as a continuum across ages that like the hero of ages is so interesting as a namesake because it means that you are a god across time like you you're going to okay if we if we think about this in modern context like you are a zeus post-roman like you you are transcending your regular time frame and you're stretching way beyond that. I think like says it as this omni seemingly omnipotent God, just in these moments when he actually interacts with people, it, it just makes mm, for some bonafide tasty moments. And it, it's just so hard for me to talk about. Cause I, I mean, just shut up and like not spoil <laughs> things. So I'll, I'll pitch it to PJ as to how, do you digest and think about the future of the series in this moment? Like as it relates to the godliness, these characters, like what does this look like to you as we think about the next book and in theory, in in long sight, the, uh, the end goal of the series. That's a seriously tough question. That's a very tough question. Basically, how do I think this will go? I mean, not how you think this will go, but like, how do you approach like godliness as this series will go? I, I think that's the thing that I'm trying to hit home is like you have our characters, which are one side of the coin, but then you also have the gods aspect, which is Sazed's side. So you've got two dichotomous almost perspectives 
because they're not necessarily working on each other's sides, despite their like conflicting thoughts that they're working for each other, potentially. I I hate to use the term mundane, but I think they will become less extraordinary when we start interacting more directly with multiple gods on a personal level. I think it'll become more of a mechanic within the world as opposed to a an outside influence on the mechanics of the world. If that makes sense. And I don't know quite where to go from there, but that's my my current feelings on like how I think this will evolve. I think it will just become we're we're expanding our scope of the universe to a certain degree. So we're seeing the influences on the mortals of this world. And and that will be just as hard of a mechanic as we've come to learn the magic system within this world is. I, I agree. I, I think expansion is the big one for me. Is that I think we have we've done two seemingly small scale plots, personal plots. And I think we've now teased enough to need expansion to the stakes because we can't really we've we have in 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 a sense culminated wax's past like as in the story around it not fully but in terms of providing the context in a lot of ways where now we need to focus on the, the the larger questions that we've been asking because evidently that's what we want like the fact that it keeps on coming back to this like asking the questions around like his his relationship with the two gods and that's what we're looking forward to is that that's that needs to be a expanded on a lot more i think moving forward but i i i'm i'm genuinely frightened for the lost metal <laughs> you have a whole book and like a short story novella that you're like, I'm frightened for the this finale. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I think the Lost Metal will be a, not to put a, 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 a name on it, but it will be a game changer for everything, I think, based on, based on just the, the, the implications of, 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 just kind of the, the 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 concept of Trell. Like I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen there. I don't want I don't want PJ to think like I've got some outside knowledge from the different books, etc. I, I don't. There's just a uh, there's a there's a because you know that a larger thing exists. You kind of like then what the fuck is that? And uh, and like that's kind of what it's like. Where I'm like this is yeah. going to answer it, and I feel like it's going to answer it by having like this little pinhole. And then uh, an elephant's just going to run through it. And I'm going to be like, oh, sh-. and I'm just going to flinch back as I'm <laughs> trampled with implications. And yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a sense of like, I feel like Lands of Mourning. I don't even know what the plot is. <laughs> I wouldn't lie. But I, haven't, I haven't read the blurb. And yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm looking past it, which is a big problem. I need to rail myself in because I know the release yeah. is coming. I need to rail myself back in and, and focus on Bands of Mourning. Well, good news for you. We're we're going to be focusing there soon on the show itself. But uh, as such, you can <laughs> read the book. Thank you so much for like showing up this with like being like, ah, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for those guys. And that's been so cool for us. So PJ, did you have other thoughts? I don't want to interrupt that idea. No, no, no. I think that covers. 
I, I do just I, pitch. I think between the two of us, that, that covers everything that I'm thinking. I do just want to pitch the idea of like, what else ideas or anything else you guys have going into Bands of Morning? Like, are there any thoughts, predictions, ideas into the next book? Mm, so many, but also <laughs> none. None that I can articulate in like a sentence. Sure. <laughs> I also suck at predictions. Mine's just, the one I'll stick with is Wax abandoning. I think he'll abandon Harmony. I think that will happen at yeah. some point during the series. Is At one point, he will completely abandon based on the trauma that he's experienced single-handedly because of Harmony's like involvement. I think it's hard to forgive that. Like On a cosmic level, from, say, like, from Harmony's perspective, he's like, yeah, 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 it's fine. You know what? You had a wife, she died, you know, get over yourself. But from his perspective, it's like that <laughs> yeah. is a an impossible level of trauma to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're cool. We're cool now. We're cool. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I agree with that. I think that is like an unforgivable kind of error. And again, I point you towards that multiverse of madness episode. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's all. PJ, where do you stand? Hmm. Where, what, what are your thoughts on going into the next book come on what do you, what do you got arm me up i mean i really my biggest thing is i i expect it to be less of a minute view on scadriel and i expect there to be an expanded view of the god's influence on the planet as a whole we'll get the like we'll get wax's perspective on this region of the world but I expect us to get more of a a complete view from the from the gods that we know are influencing it and and the parts of the planet that we know are not res- represented so far in this series. All right. Ben, anything else to add? Any questions that you have for us? Do you have any fucking questions <laughs> for us? Pieces of shit? Uh... Do you have any ideas? I, I I am absolutely <laughs> blank. All right. I, I, like I said, I'm I'm terrible at predictions. I will <laughs> I, quite often I'll get predictions right, but that's because I have made a hundred different predictions and I have stumbled onto the correct one. And then I can be like, man, I totally called that. But I I called it for one page and then had a hundred different <laughs> guesses along the way. Oh man. That's that's so interesting. It's so tough because like PJ, I hold accountable to every guest that he makes for the most part. <laughs> so like all, everything is like this. I here. contradict myself fucking constantly. constantly. And still hold me yeah. accountable. It's, it's it's very interesting. <laughs> as I only hold them accountable to the first guess and then as things come true, usually. But as it goes. Ben, so gracious of you to show up on our show. We're so thankful. I hope you had a good time. We had a great time having you on the show. It's been killer. Yes. Short thank you very much. For having, thank you for having me. Yeah. It I was, know I, like like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're dealing with time zones right now. What what time is it for you at the moment? Uh, it is one AM. Yeah, oh, I was about to fuck. say, I am so sorry. sorry. You're about to hit that. So <clears throat> we're closing out on that ceiling. Next week, we're reading Bands of Morning prologue through chapter four. Again, prologue through chapter four. You always see that on our website at wordsandwhiskey.show forward slash schedule. Is it calendar? Which one is it? I don't know. It's one uh, of the two. Something. You can check it out. 
click click the button. You'll find it. Yeah. So that's where we'll leave you for this week. Thank you, as always, to Tim and Andrew for keeping the show's lights on. But thank you to Ben for coming and making this show what it is today. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Ben, where can people find you? Uh, mainly. Well, it's just it's just YouTube. I am I am overly average, Ben. You're not just um, on YouTube. No, I, I wander around. I'm I'm on Insta. I, I'm I'm everywhere where everyone else is, screaming into the void, just like everyone else. So say we all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but but mainly if you if you hit up my YouTube, you'll you'll well, I mean to be fair, you've you've got an idea of who I am based on this. So I'd like to apologise on the whole, and <laughs> the regular scheduled entertainment will resume next week without me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. We you don't need magic. to apologise. We're we're having a great time. I hope you had a good time on the show. Regardless, you can find us at Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> Reddit. And you can email us at wordsandwhiskeyshow at gmail.com. You can check us out on patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. T shirts on T Public, of course, for the time being. Check out the link in the show notes. Beyond that, we're so glad again, Ben, to have you on the show. I'm so overjoyed in the way that the show went. Cheers. <laughs> Mine's empty, cheers. but I'll cheers. So is mine. <laughs> I, yeah, fuck us. It's fine. Thank you, and we'll see you on the other side. Oh, no.